Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School, our final 30 of the day. Don't forget the show replays tonight, 10 p.m. East, 7 p.m. out on the West Coast. And also, you can uh, check us out uh, throughout the course of the week, uh, five days a week here on Sirius XM 132, live 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. out on the West Coast. Also, a reminder, go to the Knowledge at Wharton website, which has a variety of stories making news from around the globe, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. When you get there, make sure that you sign up for the newsletters which come at you every Wednesday and Friday. So the latest edition coming into your inbox tomorrow. All of that and much more at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Recently, Dunkin' Donuts announced that it was dropping the donuts part of its name. At the same time, Weight Watchers had said it's now going to be just WW. We all remember earlier this year when everyone was scratching their heads over IHOP's decision to become IHOB to try and sell a few more burgers. In that case, it was just a temporary change. But companies do rebrand uh, quite often. But these recent changes could be more about than just changing the name. It could be changing a company's focus and its range as well. Americus Reed is a marketing professor here at the Wharton School, joins me in studio, as well as Patty Williams, associate professor of marketing here at Wharton, to talk about this. Great having you both here. Thank you very much for coming in. It's great to be here, Dan. Thanks for having us. So, so how I'll start with Dunkin' Donuts and Weight Watchers. How do you view those changes specifically, Patty? Um, you know, I think in each case, they're old brands. You know, Weight Watchers is a 55-year-old brand. Um, definitions of health and wellness have changed a lot since the post-war era. What it means to be fit in today's environment, to be healthy in today's environment, fundamentally different. Um, they were the diet plan for your mom, and yeah. they don't want to be your mom's diet plan anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. I think that, uh, that a big driver of this is the health trend. I, I'm, I'm thinking back to KFC, right, and sort of this idea of, like, let's get the word fried out of people's minds. So, you know, if we could just call ourselves KFC, then maybe, you know, there's a little True, bit yeah. of less baggage there, and, you know, we can kind of do some things and kind of, you know, do a little bit of a pivot. So, What's interesting, though, is that realistically it's not like – I mean, you are trying to change perception, but it's not like people that go to these locations don't think that some of the same – in, in the case of food locations, unhealthy things are, are not going to be there anymore. Duncan, it's interesting. I saw one reference to Duncan about the fact that 60% of what they sell now is actually coffee mm. instead of do- instead of donuts. And, and that's interesting because of, you know, this shift in, in kind of want by consumer. Yeah, absolutely the case. And you think about who they're really trying to compete with and keeping up with Starbucks, for example, right, which is no longer Starbucks coffee. It's just Starbucks. Yeah. And Dunkin's dropping that food category as well, trying to you know open up its competitive playground, if you will. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because I think from the perspective of different types of consumers are drawn to some of these different restaurants for, for different purposes. And I think that there's kind of a, you know, a Dunkin's consumer and then there's a Krispy Kreme consumer and sort of everybody's <laughs> trying to compete. Yeah, everybody's trying to get, you know, unique and try to sort of refresh who they are in terms of their image and, like Patty's saying, the different things that they're, you know, kind of known for. What do you think are, I mean, when you look at, at some of the other examples uh, over time, sometimes it is trying to refresh the brand. 
sometimes there are things that maybe the company has done that have not sat well with their consumers or consumers in general where they feel like they need to make make the change. Are those kind of the two maybe main reasons why a company thinks about this? Yeah, I think that those are the two main reasons, Dan. I think about, you know, making sure that, you know, we understand the difference between kind of changing the logo, which is kind of just the outward facing you know, aesthetic of the brand versus actually trying to communicate something very different about, you know, what you stand for in terms of, you know, how you are perceived in consumers. I think about Uber, for example, is like put the, this new CEO out there to try to really sure. get people thinking about Uber in a more positive way. So there's kind of difference between, you know, kind of like we, we need to reestablish who we are and what we do uh, because of some particular brand crisis versus, you know what, it's just time, as Patty's saying, just to refresh and maybe try to be a little bit more modern and try to speak to maybe a younger consumer. Patty? Absolutely the case. I mean, you can think about Walmart, which a handful of years ago went from all capital letters to lowercase letters with a pretty little star and a sun in the middle, right? And it went from trying to say it was this dominating retailer to this warm, friendly retailer. There wasn't really a a big rebranding effort in terms of what the brand stood for or how it was pursuing its strategy, but it adopted a different kind of personality. But anytime you can get that that extra level of connection with the consumer... It, you're, you're, you're taking the right path. It's an opportunity to get them to think differently about you, right? And, you know, I think Weight Watchers is an interesting example. They, they're they trying to make that WW stand for something new, right? They're calling it wellness that works. Sure, right. Um, yeah. And trying to have wow. this sort of holistic view. You know, my own cool. personal thing is I think it's harder to say WW than it is to say Weight Watchers. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm not quite sure how sticky that's going to be mm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Visually, it looks great. You know, to say it, that's a challenge. Marcus? Yeah, I think the the perspective of trying to, you know, kind of reinvent yourself, trying to, to refresh what you're doing is an important sort of aspect. It's also got a double-edged sword, too, because oftentimes, you know, Patty's an expert on this because she studies emotions. You know, oftentimes we have kind of nostalgia wrapped up in these brands. You and I were talking well, about, yeah. you know, uh, International House of Pancakes and yeah. all, all the, this warm stuff. I was upset, so, man. Excuse me. Inter- was, International House of Burgers. They, at least, oh, at least dude, for a month it was. I know. Yeah. When you say that, man, I cringe. I get right? upset. I do. But, yeah. uh, but you know, these the memories are there. These emotions are there. And so you're, you're struggling with the idea of, you know, I have this core group of consumers who has a certain idea about what I'm doing, and now i got to talk to new consumers. And, and that's an interesting part. It is kind of the legacy part of some of these companies. When you think of an IHOP, which has been around for a long period of time, you think of some of these other companies out there that decide, well, even if we tweak it for a month, you know, that's probably a good idea. It probably doesn't. I mean, there are many cases probably where it does work. There are probably some cases where it hasn't worked and it's failed miserably. And I I think we're still trying to figure out whether the IHOB was a failure or a, or a success, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a temporary change. It was meant to attract attention, maybe shock the world. What are yeah. they doing, right? Everything about it garnered some negative publicity in many ways. Yeah. And yet maybe it gave them an opportunity to say we're about more than pancakes and we're trying to speak to modern you know, food tastes and food preferences in a way that they hadn't been able to do before. It is. I guess it's more interesting, even so from the restaurant side of it, because of the connection that you have with the consumer. And there's obviously a lot of concern right now about what is actually going into food products. I mentioned to you before we went on the air, McDonald's mm-hmm. making the decision recently to say we're getting rid of preservatives mm-hmm. in our burgers. Part of that is it's not really rebranding Right. The company, mm-hmm. but it's rebranding some of the products that mm-hmm. they actually sell. Yeah, I mean, doesn't McDonald's only do salads though? 
<laughs> yeah. Just no. kidding. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's a, it's hard though, right? Because it's like you have these deep thoughts in your mind. You grew up with these these images, these emotions, etc. And so, you know, if you're going to try to change, I think oftentimes we try to advise companies, you know, kind of do it in a slow way, kind of you know take a, a slow progression towards trying to move towards something different, and not to try to compromise those legacy, the positive aspects of those legacy. So not jumping into the deep end of the pool really that fast. Exactly. Kind of taking your time and get. There's something called just noticeable difference, where you're just kind of just yeah. trying to make these little tiny changes and sort of, you know, not shocking consumers so that they're, you know, because a lot of times they're using these cues, as Patty was saying, they're using these cues to like identify you and yeah. to know where you are and to see, you know, it, from an awareness perspective. So you got to be a little bit careful. But there's going to be a level of shock for the consumer one way or the other when that change is actually made. It, I guess to what America is saying, that timing, how how quickly you make that adjustment or how much time you take in making that adjustment, because there is obviously when you're talking about a rebrand, you got a lot in the case of Dunkin' Donuts, you got a lot of stores that need to be rebranded for Dunkin' instead of Dunkin' Donuts. And maybe that's partly been done already. I think that's absolutely the case. And if you look at it, I mean, they they timed this announcement. They sort of previewed what the visual branding is going to look like um, before it's been rolled out. Right. Your local store hasn't gotten this new visual branding yet. Um, and, you know, there's some of the articles people are saying just when you thought you knew someone, they've changed. Right, right. right. And so that notion of that attachment that that I love this brand and I thought this brand was a particular entity and now it's telling me it's someone else. And what does it mean to interact with that? Marcus? I think that's huge. I think that, you know, the company is going to try to consider what is its legacy, what is its, you know, deep emotional bonds and try to make a decision. I remember I woke up one day and Sprint was suddenly yellow. And uh, like overnight, <laughs> I was like, what is this? You know, but, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, well, it's probably not like deep loyalists associated with, you know, Sprint, right? right? So, but for something like, you know, a Dunkin' Donuts, I mean, I'm sure there are people who would say, yeah, I remember, you know, going to the place and eating these donuts with my family and have all these wonderful memories. So, you know, you just got to be a little bit careful as you're trying to roll something out. Like it, that. Is it easier to do that? And, and I don't know if you've looked at this. Is it easier to do this in more of the retail sector than it is with a corporate entity. I, I, I was thinking about the fact that uh, uh, the company that's Accenture now used to be Anderson yeah. Consulting, and they were kind of linked on the side to the Enron scandal. Yeah. And then you have that name change just to kind of divest yourself from the past yeah. and whether or not there's a, there's that long-term impact still hanging around. I think that's absolutely correct. I think that there is a consideration sometimes when you're trying to create like a psychological distance between, you know, perhaps something that has happened, there's been a brand crisis, etc. Makes sense to do that a little bit more quickly perhaps and and, and to do to dive right into the pool as you said, Dan. Yeah. Uh, but typically I think the, the the general advice is that hey, you want to kind of be a little bit careful because you do have these consumers who know you very well and it's it really is the double-edged sort of branding. It's like you spend so much time trying to convince people that you are about X or you look a certain way in terms of the aesthetic and the colors and, the, and all of that stuff that suddenly now you're going to say, well, now I'm different. Yeah. They may think that what you're doing is different, which is you know obviously one of the downsides of this. I'll give you an interesting example. A couple of years ago or a handful of years ago, the California Prune Board decided that young people didn't want to eat prunes. <laughs> yeah. Prunes are for old okay. people and right. they're for you know, a health condition I might not want to think I have yet. Right. Right. So they decided they were going to be dried plums. Years of research go into huh. whether or not dried plums are a more attractive name. They actually spent about two years with most of the packages reading both prunes and dried plums before they went towards just calling them dried plums. Mm. So they gave a long time for wow. people 
couple to get used to this change. And it's a pretty simple change in yeah. some ways, right? But they really eased their way into it. Um, and by the way, found new growth as a result of doing this. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, did it actually change in the research you've seen? Did it actually change sales? It changed sales. I mean, plum uh, prune sales were declining. Um, they had a great growth period when they were about fiber and they were positioned as an alternative to bran. And then suddenly that wasn't a very appealing positioning anymore. It becomes, you know, dried plums are healthy, right? Interesting. A lot of people get paid a lot of money at some of these ad firms to come up with these changes. but And, and it does really talk about, you know, you have to get it right. Because you're talking about, in many cases, multi-million dollar companies. If you mess this up, if you mess a change like this up, and you take something away from the consumer, it can have dire consequences. I think the beauty about this, though, is that we are living in a day and age where these things can be tested rather quickly. So, sure. you know, in the in this in this n- sort of new world of being able to access consumers on their devices, we can get a lot of feedback from them pretty quickly. And it probably makes sense, you know, before you're out there and actually invest a lot in these kinds of changes that you are kind of getting a temperature as to how people are going to feel about any it. any branding change you can think of that that really did not work. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so, you know, the, it's interesting. We have we brought kind of a list here of some of the good ones and the bad ones and um, that at least have been identified. Yeah. Um, I think that some brands like, for example, Airbnb changed their uh, changed their name or their logo, I guess, and their aesthetic sure, yeah. recently. And sort of there was a little bit of a, of a of a negative backlash in terms of, you know, kind of the color scheme and some of the aesthetics, et cetera. Um, I, I think that the bigger problems have to do with when you try to talk to a different type of customer and you really are changing, like you're, you're making a statement about what you think the values should or shouldn't be uh, in that branding, rebranding effort. So so th- those are some examples I think are a little bit more riskier. I but think. I, I find that one interesting because when you think about what Airbnb is, you're talking about being able to go to a space. If the space is good... That, then, you know, does it really matter yeah. what the logo looks like if the space is still as good as you remember it yeah. from pre to post making that change? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think to go back to America's point, I think it's really more about are you signaling something about your rejection of the old value proposition and the old consumers that you were close to? Right. Or are you trying to say something that is more inclusive, maybe just more modern, right? And and there are ways you can do that. There are plenty of failure examples. The Gap example is a great one. Yeah. They changed their logo. Their customers hated. They walked away from it. Starbucks actually had a logo change um, that they launched, and they got a lot of negative publicity about it, and they walked back from it. And we don't even remember that one because it's Starbucks, and they're so good at everything. (laughs) One of of the ones that you have also in front of you is BP, which was British Petroleum for the longest period of time, and now is BP. And it used to be a shield with BP on it, and now it is basically like a sun kind of taking that. You know, instead of guarding, protecting with a shield, <laughs> you're trying to use the sun as a as yeah. a positive thing. Now, obviously, what happened in, yeah. the, in the Gulf of Mexico kind of, you know, yeah. it, it takes a big hit on that. I think it does. I think if, if the premise is like we protect the environment and that shield and then there's an event that happens where consumers may be able to push back against that, you know, that's going to obviously, to Patty's point, you know, really maybe be an inconsistent signal or message to those consumers. So you got to be a little bit careful about that. Patty? I think that's definitely the case. And I think you have to be really careful that you're not losing the heritage and the equity that you have, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You have to figure out where is that heritage an opportunity and where is that heritage sort of a dead weight. Um, And finding that balance can be really hard. There's another one that that America's just showed me, and it's in part 
when you have kind of a change of name as well mm-hmm. in, in the company, Yahoo and Oath. I mean, that's that's not only trying to rebrand, but you're rebranding to a degree uh, an entirely different company, even though a lot of the same qualities may be the same. Yeah, and walking away from a lot of negative equity potentially, right? Yeah. It's no longer an energetic brand. It's an old, tired brand. It's had mm-hmm. privacy issues, right? One One sort of scandal after another in many ways. Are we seeing more companies now rebrand than say even 10 years ago 20 years ago that's a really good question i don't have hard data on it uh i would think that my perception would possibly be that that might be the case but then again you know it's because we're aware of these things more often because of you know how the information is going around i wouldn't be surprised that companies are very much interested in making sure that they know kind of what what how am i being perceived and i think sometimes they may be quick to kind of you know have a reaction to consumers that might suggest that they may want to change. And oftentimes, they may jump into that change too quickly. Patty? I think a lot of legacy brands are really struggling um, in, a, okay. in a bunch of ways. They're um, struggling against disruptors, mm. um, people outside their industry who are coming in and have implications for the way they compete. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they look old-fashioned, and so they're rebranding in that way. And they're also struggling with young people demanding a lot more from brands than brands had to stand for 20 or 30 years ago. I'll think of one really right in my backyard in, in, in the suburbs here in Philadelphia is Target. Not that they're mm. rebranding the logo right. specifically, but they are rebranding all of their stores because they mm-hmm. are trying to make them feel more comfortable for the consumer right now and so it's not necessarily the logo but it's just the feel of when somebody goes into into a target location and target actually killed off a lot of their in-store clothing brands Mm. um ones that they had you know sold for years and years they decided they couldn't reinvent them they just needed to get rid of them and Mm. launch new in-house brands with new visuals new images new meaning structures all those things new specifically brands that they are producing themselves target branded clothing for example that's no, I was going to say that's super interesting, too, because, I mean, it, I think it goes very well with the overall example of Target being able to. I mean, Target, right? They, I, I remember when it was when we were younger, it was oh, like yeah. Target, Kmart, you know, all these things were like on top of each other in terms of the psychological space in people's minds. But like Target is now something not quite Macy's yet, but it's like it's done a really good job of like reinventing itself. And if it's to the place where it's Patty Singh, where it can actually put out its own brand. Yeah, that's saying a lot about how far it's come. But that's also saying something about what Target thinks that that you know they need to do as a company instead of maybe bringing in products from other companies and relying on them to make the decision of what t-shirt design is good what pair of pants jeans is good it's target themselves that are actually making that decision they're putting it more on their own shoulders and they always have but what's interesting is they decided those legacy target owned brands could not be updated in a way that was meaningful to consumers. And mm. it was better to kill mm-hmm. them and relaunch with entirely new Target-owned brands. That's an amazing thing to have done. Mm-hmm. 844-942-7866 is the number. If you would like to join in, maybe you've seen a, a brand that has shifted that you would like to mention, either good or bad, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at bizradio 132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Where are we on the concept of brand loyalty right now? Um, well, I think brand loyalty is more important than ever. 
Um, every brand out there wants to have long-term relationships with their customers, right? Wants to yield that lifetime value. Um, there isn't a brand out there that isn't thinking about it. I think the dilemma is, in particular, for a lot of these legacy brands, um, what does it mean to have loyalty in a world where what consumers are demanding is so much different than what I was really good at delivering? Americas? I think that's 100% correct. I think that consumers are now demanding that they sort of be a part of the brand creation process. They are demanding, you know, because of the notion of you know, companies like Amazon, when you go to a retail outlet, you better have something there than just assortions of products. I mean, you better have something to experience that consumers, you know, latch on to. Right. But I think there is a kind of a very interesting component to this that says that, you know, we really have to focus on deeper, like Patty's saying, deeper emotional relationships as opposed to getting people to buy over and over again, because that's not the same thing. What about, like, the, the, the social component to this? as well because uh, I'll take exa the example of Amazon. We talked about it before is, is the fact that Amazon made the announcement about increasing their minimum wage to $15 an hour. Now, that's not a branding thing, but that is also it's a showing uh, of the uh, the company that they know that there is an issue with wages. It's obviously been talked about a lot and they are willing to, to try and make change to adapt to make things a little bit better for their workers. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, br make, brush millennials too broadly here, but I think there is a big trend towards brand having brands having values, and they act to actually have to step up and say, I have these values, and I'm going to enact behaviors that are consistent with these values, whether they're things like how much we pay our employees or, you know, what we're doing to help, um, you know, people get shoes who don't have access to shoes, if I'm Tom's, for example. And consumers really expect that brands um, like people yeah. are going to have values that they live up to and that they try to enact every single day. And and there's still a lot of question about, you know, if that mindset of millennials, for many of them, is going to carry over to Gen Z. You know, whether you're going to have the, the need for values be a component of, of where you shop, who you buy from, what company you actually work with. I think it's only getting bigger. And in fact, I think it infects every consumer of every age these days. Everybody wants brands to stand for something. And to, you know, so so that I can purchase them and feel good about the purchase I'm making. It's huge. I think that uh, Patty's absolutely correct here, and, you know, both in terms of millennials and Gen Z, because I think what's going to be happening is that people are going to make the decision to align themselves with the products and services that reflect ideologies, other things they believe in, and things of that nature. So it's going to continue to be a big deal. I would say that Amazon wanting to make a statement about, you know, treating uh, workers appropriately, that's part of the brand. That's going to be an argument that says it's going to be very consistent. The other big part of that that, that Patty's mentioning as well that's huge is that it also becomes a litmus test to attract people to the organization. So the employees then will yeah. be attracted to the company. And if you bring in employees that are aligned with the vision, then they can deliver the brand to outside consumers much more easily. Patty? I think that's exactly right. I mean, your employer brand is increasingly your consumer brand. And the distinction between those two yeah. no longer exists. Especially considering the fact that so many companies now are worried about the loss of employees and what that impact has on them, you know, on their corporate structure, but also financially in terms of having to go out and hire new employees. They're more and more trying to get rid of that cost as much as they can. And if you can make the employees feel good, it, it continues to roll over, correct? Uh, employees who are happy 
deliver mm-hmm. customers who are happy. That's yeah. what it comes down to. It's an internal switching cost, right? So if I'm with an organization that I feel is deeply connected with who I think I am or want to be, then, you know, at a certain point, money becomes kind of a, a not that much of a, of a big differentiating factor. It's more or less like this is who I am. Yeah. So another company swooping in with more money may not be able to attract me even if I'm really good because it's like this is how I express who I am because I believe the company represents my own values. But there's still a lot of shifting going on where this is concerned. I'm thinking about the grocery sector because of how Amazon is, has moved into that area and now they have Whole Foods. What this is going to mean for the brands of the traditional grocers you know, moving forward, a lot more are going to the to the order services to get their groceries instead of making the trip on Sunday going into the grocery store. That's another impact that we're seeing as well. Well, I think that touches on the point that Patty made earlier, which is like the brand is going to really move beyond just being these external facings. And it's going to incorporate a lot more of the consumer's own co-creation process plus your ability to kind of deliver the right experience, which yeah. is what these companies and retail outlets are focused on, to be able to kind of create that brand. Because the brand is really the sum of your experiences that you have as a consumer when you react and engage with those brands. And I think companies are very smart. We're trying to get smarter about it. Great having you here with us today. Thank you both. Thanks Thank for coming you. in. We, we Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks. America's Reed, Patty Williams from here at the Wharton School, joining us here in studio. That will take care of the show for the day. We will be back with you tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, live here on Sirius XM One. Don't forget, replays each and every weeknight at uh, 10 p.m. East, 7 p.m. out on the West Coast. Many thanks to Patty McMahon and Monique Nazareth and Daniel Bruno on the other side of the glass. Enjoy your Tuesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow.